we're going to jump back into Colossians again this morning. And though we've sort of bounced in and out of it these last few weeks with guest preachers, it should be a straight shot from here on out through the end of the summer and the end of the book. We've looked at Colossians since June at some point and discovered along the way that it's a book that revolves around and around a single idea, that Jesus Christ is first and last and everything in between. Everything, Colossians says, was created and saved through him and for him. And as we come to understand this more deeply each week, we're invited to take a step deeper in to live as though this was true. In the passage a couple weeks ago, we heard Paul plead with us to cling to the head, to Jesus. That if Jesus really is all the fullness of God bodily dwelling among us, if we have truly come to fullness already in him, then we don't need to go anywhere else or do anything else. Paul spoke out against false religion and against legalistic regulations that were being proposed in this Colossian church. And we saw that all these things are ways that we try to control our lives or to control God or both. And Paul says, give it up. Cling to Christ, our head. In him is everything we need, and it's given freely and fully already. This week, we dig in deeper still. I've been waiting for this week and for this passage because I think it's incredibly important for us to hear and to think about it together. Because often we draw the wrong conclusion from the end of chapter 2. A lot of times we hear that Jesus' gift is absolutely free, that it's unconditional, that we need to give up those legalistic, controlling forms of false religion, all those lists of needs and shoulds, And then we relax. We take a deep breath. And we say, all right then, we're good to go, I guess. If Jesus is going to love us no matter what, how convenient. We don't take it as license to go off and be terrible, awful people. But the pressure is now off. It's no longer a big deal if we sin once in a while. Or we give up trying to rid our lives of that pesky sin or two that just don't seem to leave us alone. That if we just sort of blend into the culture around us and what it defines as good and worthwhile, we'll be fine. There's no need any longer to stand out, to be different, to be transformed, as Rawi said last week. To be radical. To take really seriously all that take-up-your-cross stuff, Jesus kept saying. Because Jesus is going to love us anyway. And don't be legalistic. Well, our passage this morning tells us that nothing really could be further from the truth. And so as we open God's word together now, I want to invite you to take the moment you need to do whatever you need to do. To open your ears and your mind and your heart. To focus in expectantly on what the Spirit has to say to you through God's word this morning. So listen with me to the book that we love. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. It was Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and we'll look back at it a couple times. So if you want to keep your Bible open or keep your finger in it or keep your app up, do whatever you need to. Be who you are. If you don't take away anything else from this morning, take away that. Be who you are. Paul spent two chapters telling us all that Jesus has done for us already. You've been reconciled with God through him. He's made peace with God through the blood of his cross. You have died with him and been buried in baptism. You've been raised with him and given new life in baptism as well. You've been set free from all the powers of this world. So, Paul now says, be who you are. Here again how Paul started. So if, and really we should probably translate that since, 
Since you have been raised with Christ, because you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you've died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who's your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You've been raised already with Christ. Your life is hidden now in him, so seek the things above where he is. Set your mind on them. Put to death these earthly things that you once entered into because you've already died to them. Clothe yourselves with the heavenly things because that's who you are now. Be who you are. But of course, it's going to matter a lot who you are. Because as we hear that call, be who you are, we think we're about to need some introspection. In our individualistic culture, we're going to look into ourselves. Who am I then? To fully be me, I'll need more self-knowledge. I'll have to look in and reflect. But did you catch who Paul said you were? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Who are you? You are in Christ. And yet who you are is also now somehow hidden in him. Not fully visible to you or to the world around us. And yet, it will be visible one day when Christ is revealed in glory with us. Who are you? You're in Christ. Which means we don't discover who we truly are by mining the depths of ourselves and turning inward. We don't find who we are by introspection. We find who we are by looking at Jesus. But it's not enough just to look at Jesus either. Paul wants us to be who we are, which means not just a change in identity, but a change in our being and our action. He wants us to be different. And to help us understand that, Paul wants us to change our clothes. Let's think about clothes together for a minute. If we're going to need to change them, let's understand what they are. At one level, our clothes are, are a covering, right? Both to protect our fragile bodies and also to, you know, cover ourselves from one another. But if that's all our clothes did, we'd just wear the same generic, undyed, cotton, frumpy robes or futuristic jumpsuits, right? Our clothes do more than that. They're more than just coverings. They have come to be part of our identity, and we use our clothing, our outfits, and our wardrobes to communicate to the world something about who we are. These clothes are my basic generic pastoral uniform. I wear something like this most Sundays and most days in the office. And it communicates something to the world. I'm not wearing jeans and a t-shirt or, you know, surf shorts and a tank top. Um, it communicates a degree of respect and formality, but not too much. A little bit of casualness and, and relevance. 
there's some respect, but also I'm not, you know, in a tux this morning. Um, it communicates something, I think, about age, too, um, you know, at least a little relevant. The clothes that we wear, we choose at some level to communicate to our, yeah, not like you're young, but like, you know, for the rest of us, look around. <laughs> the clothes that we pick, what we wear is meant to communicate something about who we are. And yet, there's also a degree of functionality to our clothing, right? This isn't good clothes to go run a marathon in, but for this, it pretty well suits us. So as we think a little bit more about how clothes communicate who we are and then how we are and what we do, I have some examples for you to look at, okay? So Lorraine, put the first one up there. So, who are these people? First responders, right? There's a, there's a firefighter, an EMT, and a police officer. And you know that immediately because of the clothes they're wearing. Those uniforms tell us something about their identity, who they are, but also what they do, right? There's functionality to these clothes, especially the, the firefighter. Those clothes are great for fighting fires, to help protect you from heat, from flame, the helmet, from things crashing down on you. But those same clothes are probably pretty bad for swimming, right? Not very functional for that. So show up the next one. What are these people doing? It's a funeral, right? And you know that even if you didn't see the casket between the legs, because they're all wearing black. Black's a color that's symbolic of mourning, of sadness, and we put it on to gather together at funerals. It would probably be a mistake to show up in a white gown to a funeral, right? Which brings us to our next picture. Who's this? A bride. And you know that immediately by looking at her and her long flowing trail. Isn't it funny the pictures you can just find on Google image search? Um, just odd things like this one. But again, there's function behind this, not just identity. You don't just learn she's a bride probably about to get married. There's also functionality. Again, you probably can't swim in this. It'd probably be a bad idea to fight a fire in this. It'd probably just catch. Clothes tell us something about who we are and about what we do. Let's see the next one. Sports uniforms, right? Uniform is meant to tell which team you're on, so you can tell on the field which team you're a part of, who you're playing with and who you're playing against in a moment's notice. But also different sports have different types of clothing because of the functionality. Baseball wears certain kinds of clothes. Football, hockey, basketball wears different uniforms. And I picked this one because these are known as the stupidest uniforms in the history of sports. Did you know that for three games in 1976, the Chicago White Sox wore shorts? Think about that for a minute. Functionality. Have you ever played competitive baseball or softball in shorts and had to slide on that gravel? Not smart. There's a reason nobody ever replicated these jerseys. Let's look at our last one. Anybody know what this outfit is called? A what? No. Greg? A robe. It's a special kind of robe. It's called an alb. And an alb is a type of liturgical robe that you'll see sometimes pastors wear, and it's meant to be a symbol of baptism, a reminder that we have been washed clean in Christ, 
that our sins are washed whiter than snow. And this garment actually goes back pretty far into the history of Christianity. In the very early days of the church, it was actually part of the baptismal ceremony. People who wanted to become Christians had to study and prepare and be mentored for years. And when they were finally ready, they'd fast from Holy Saturday into Easter morning. And at the Easter vigil service early in the morning, they would gather to be baptized and to finally receive communion for the first time. And this is how they'd do the baptism. They'd be divided by gender, and those new Christians would come down into the waters. But before they did, they would take off their old clothes and be baptized naked as a symbol that they were removing their old life, that they were dying to themselves, dying to sin, and leaving all of that behind. They went down into the waters. They were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And coming up out the other side, they were given a white robe, a symbol of their new life in Christ, that they've been washed clean and now stand as God's saints to live for God in the world. A change of clothes was required to go with their changed life. And I think this is exactly the practice Paul has in mind in Colossians when he says, you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. I think he wanted the Colossians to remember their baptisms, how they literally removed their old clothes and were given new white robes as a symbol that they had died to sin in their old lives and have risen now to new life in Jesus. Paul wanted them to remember baptism and then to do the same thing spiritually and metaphorically with their lives, to take off the old self and put on the new self, to be who they were, since you've died to sin in Jesus, died to your old self, since you've been raised to new life, a change of clothes is needed because there were clothes you used to wear who marked who you were and your identity in the world, what you were doing in the world and how you were. And those clothes are no longer fitting for who you are. We need a change of clothes. And to understand this change of clothes, we actually need to go back quite a ways. Because Colossians isn't the first time the Bible talks about clothes. The first time is actually Genesis 3, the third chapter of the Bible, as clothing is invented. Let's look at that passage briefly. You'll remember that Adam and Eve were, were naked and unashamed in the garden. Until, of course, they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and of evil until they betrayed God and until they were covered now in sin and in shame. And then they run away and they hide in the woods. But more than that, they hide their bodies. They sew together fig leaves and make clothes for themselves. But of course, God comes still to find them God discovers all that they've done. But before kicking them out of the garden, God does something strange. God gives them a gift. The Bible says that God made clothes for them out of skins and clothed 
Adam and Eve. God comes to find Adam and Eve in brokenness and sin and shame, and he clothes them. But God doesn't just make these clothes out of thin air. God doesn't snap God's fingers and they come to be. It says they're made out of skins, animal skins, which means something had to die for these clothes to be made for Adam and Eve. We see here the first sacrifice in the pages of Scripture as God kills an animal in order to cover over the sin and shame of Adam and Eve in God's mercy and foreshadowing so much of what will come in the pages of Scripture, God makes them new clothes. But here we are now again, wearing our fig leaves, desperately in need of a change of clothes. We've worn these clothes of sin for too long, clothes to hide our shame and our nakedness, the clothes of death. Weave together, Paul says, in fornication and impurity and passion and evil desire and greed, clothes of anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive language, clothes knit together by the knowledge of good and evil that we have reached for on our own. But it's time we changed our clothes. It's time we took off these old rags, these fig leaves we've made for ourselves and put on the garments of Christ. This time, not the skins of an animal sacrifice, but the one true, once and for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Clothes weaved with compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Above all, love that binds it all together. Clothes knit together in the knowledge according to the image of our Creator given to us in Jesus. We need to take off the clothes of Adam and put on the clothes of Christ. Our former ways and the ways of this world are just not fitting anymore, for we have died with Christ and have been raised to new life in him. We need to leave behind these things if we are to be who we are. We need to leave behind things like fornication, Paul says, which means any sex outside of marriage. We need to leave behind impurity, which means the contamination of character from any immoral activity. We need to leave behind passion, which isn't just being passionate about things generally, but specifically means uncontrolled, rampant passion. We need to take off evil desire, which actually means over-desire or inordinate desire. It means elevating lesser things and desiring them like ultimate things. We need to leave behind greed, which Paul says is just a form of idolatry. And really all these things are just forms of idolatry, one or another. It's all just making gods out of things that aren't God desiring and seeking after created things in the way we were meant to desire and seek out God and God alone. John Calvin famously said, our hearts are idol factories, always ready to pump out another one for us to worship. We're creatures of desire, and we will desire and worship something. It's not a matter of if we will worship, but what? Which is why Paul says, don't just take off your old clothes. 
Don't just strip away your old self with its practices because they will only be replaced by something else. It's not a matter of just turning away from the wrong things because no matter how hard we try and work, we will either be sucked back in or they'll just be replaced by something else. We don't need to just take off our old clothes. We have to put on the new ones. We have to, as Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, where we are now hidden with him. We take off the clothes of Adam by putting on the clothes of Christ. And so we take on compassion. We take on kindness. We take on humility and meekness and patience. We look at Jesus and see this is how Jesus lived. And so if our lives are hidden with Christ, with God in him, then these same virtues must mark our lives if we are to be who we are. And so Paul makes his last transition in this passage to tell us how it is we put on these clothes of Christ. These are not easy virtues, standing as they do in opposition to our more natural friends, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language. We would love to rid ourselves of these things and put on the virtues of Jesus. But just trying harder doesn't seem to be working. And so Paul transitions in a way that seems somewhat random at first until you see this logic underneath it. For Paul moves to worship. He said this at the end. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's worship. And it's in worship that we put on the clothes of Christ. It's gathering together to experience God's forgiveness and mercy and grace for us who don't deserve it, that we learn to forgive each other. It's here as we hear about God's long-suffering patience and compassion on us that we learn to then bear with each other along the way. It's learning of all Christ gave up for us and of the contours of Christ's upside-down kingdom that we learn what real humility and meekness look like. And it's as we come through this one baptism to this one table of our one Lord that we find the divisions of the world have been erased within the body of Christ and ethnicity, and socioeconomic standing, and education, and ability, and all the other ways we divide ourselves against each other, that they no longer do, and that Christ is all and in all, because God's peace has come. And all of this bubbles over again and again into gratitude that fills our hearts with songs to give glory to the God who has done these things taking off our old self and putting on the new one, begins and ends in worship. This is where we find our true selves by discovering Christ in his word. And this 
is where our true selves are then found, praising God in gratitude all our days. The key is worshiping Jesus. Because the more we look at him, the more we look like him. So Paul says, be who you are. Change your clothes this morning. You have died, and your life is hidden now in Christ with God. New clothes, new ways are required for you to be who you are in Jesus. So take off the old ways, those ways of sin, not by your own effort or brute force, but by turning to Jesus, by setting your mind on things that are above where Christ is. Fix your gaze on Jesus. Gather in worship to know and experience him more fully through word and sermon and in song. Because the more we look at him, the more we look like him. The more we begin to look like compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience. Be who you are. Take off the clothes of Adam and put on the clothes of Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your grace poured out on us in Jesus Christ. That we have already in baptism died to our old self and risen to this new life. So Lord, give us your grace to be who we are in you to step into this new life and to live in your ways, to live in you as we are already in you, to take on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Lord, as we move into the week to come, continue to speak into us about what it is we need to take off and what you're calling us to take on. And so, Lord, as we give ourselves to you, be faithful and call us further up and further in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.